If you haven't met yet, um, my name is Toby, Leadership Care and Support Minister here on staff, and I'm just really glad you're here. I know I've said that before, but I'm saying it again. Glad you're here, glad to be with you this morning. We're continuing our series called The Story and Way of Jesus, where we've been studying the book of Mark um, and see how Jesus teaches and reveals the kingdom of God. So let me read our exciting text this morning out of Mark chapter 5, verses 1 through 20. They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a, with a chain. For he had often been uh, chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you impure spirit. Then Jesus asked him, What is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send him out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. He gave them permission, and the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed in his right mind. They were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people that had, what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. And the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him but said, Go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had um, mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and all the people were amazed. I was just as excited as you were when I got assigned this passage to share as our first Sunday message of 2022 to talk about a demon-possessed man. But here we are. <laughs> Happy New Year. Uh, let me pray for us this morning, and, and I'll get started. Father, we thank you that um, you divinely appoint even passages like this, Lord. They're part of your scripture, and thank you for allowing me to see how important they are to us this, this day, in, in these days. So I ask, Lord, that you would give us open ears, open hearts to receive whatever you have on your mind for us, Jesus. We depend on you. Our eyes are fixated on you, and as we're starting out a new year, Lord, give us a new and fresh understanding of what your spirit is at, at work in and what he's doing in, this, in our lives, in this life of our church. Jesus, I commend everything that I'm about to say into your, to your hands, into your presence, Lord, and receive my meditation, Lord, and, and may we be lifted up and encouraged to what you have to say this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let me start this morning by saying that I love San Francisco. There's something really special about this place that's sometimes hard to really put into words. 
there's kind of like a beauty about the city. See, my, sis, my family and I recently moved to the Outer Sunset. We live about six blocks from the beach. Uh, our uh, bedroom windows have ocean view. We have a big backyard. Uh, moved into a really good community, really cool neighbors. Um, we have parks really close by, like walking distance to the beach, as I mentioned, and to Golden Gate Park. And then don't even get me started on the food that we have here in San Francisco, right? Uh, I mean, I'm sure you can think of something. When I thought about this, for me, it was the Totopas at Nopalito. Anybody? Totopas, Nopalito? Nobody? Wow. First service, a lot more people went to Totopas. Well, try it out, because it's amazing. But I just love how, how the city of San Francisco expresses itself, the diversity that's here, the diversity of culture, the diversity of people, who we are, we get to express ourselves, and it makes San Francisco as, as beautiful as it is. I really feel at home here since I moved here in 2010. Uh, Ina Kobrith, she was a poet who lived in San Francisco for a short while, sums it up really well in her poem titled To San Francisco. Here's what she says. Fair on your hills, my city, fair as the queen of old, supreme in her seven-hilled splendor, you from your gate of gold. Facing the orient sunburst, swathing in the sunset gleams, throned in an ultimate glory, city of mists and of dreams. Aina kind of portrays San Francisco in this, in this royal state, this beautiful thing. And if we think about San Francisco, we realize quickly that San Francisco is not just places. San Francisco is also its people, the people that make up San Francisco. I might date myself a little bit of how long I've been here, but does anybody remember Bushman? Yeah, a few people. Okay, there was, there was this guy who was all throughout the city. Um, he, would, he would just sit on this little um, like chair, and he would bring around some branches and hide behind the branches, but he would sit in the middle of the, of the sidewalk. Somebody remembers, yeah, yeah, perfect. Yeah, no. So he would just sit there and scare people. But you know that there's just like, there's just somebody sitting behind a branch right there, and you know what, to, but, but he, he got me multiple times, pretty good. I just, I still didn't expect it. You looked at a bush in the middle of a sidewalk and you still get scared by a man hiding behind those branches. Anyways, um, but I also think about our church community. Think about the people who make up Reality San Francisco. Think about the people that I got to help plant this church with. Think about the people who I've been doing ministry alongside for a while. I also think about the people who are new here, specifically as I was thinking about people in our church community, uh, a man named Seth Stowaway came to mind. He, uh, he is a, a member, a longtime member of our church who recently got to open uh, a restaurant. And I know it's been a dream of his to open that restaurant for a long time. You see, when you, say, when you think about San Francisco, when you talk about San Francisco, we think about the places that are in the city, but we also think about the people that make up San Francisco. And as soon as we start thinking about the people that make up San Francisco, we, we quickly come to the point where also we are reminded and remembering the people who have done harm and are doing harm to our city. There's people like Jim Jones and the People's Temple who forever shared churches in a bad light, not just in San Francisco, but all over the nation. Think about the desperate people who storm retail stores and mobs assault innocent people, people who assault innocent people on the street, damage cars, smash and grabs, destroy businesses, and spread fear. Even think about those people who steal from, from uh, Walgreens and, and sell what they steal so they can uh, buy, buy drugs. You see, when you think about San Francisco, we can't neglect that there's a dark side to San Francisco as well. 
I recently read a story in the SF Chronicle that I want to share with you that really helped me personify some of the darkness that is in San Francisco. You see, after all, even behind um, all of the darkness, there's a story. It's published on December 2nd uh, of last year. Columnist Heather Knight follows the journey of a woman who's trying to find and save her daughter. Lori, who's the mom, leaves all that she has in Seattle and makes her way to San Francisco to try to find her daughter, Jessica. Lori just lost her only son, Jessica's brother, to a drug overdose. He died alone. The article quotes Lori saying, I talk to him sometimes. I just tell him how much I miss him and how much I know he wanted me to save Jess. And I'm doing it. Lori describes her daughter's childhood and behavior that she was an attention-seeking spitfire, competing in beauty contests such as the Little Miss Hemisphere and joining a competitive cheerleader squad. But Lori noticed a change when Jessica was nine. Her daughter grew depressed and defiant. She and Jessica both had strong thought constantly. The article goes on saying, Jessica, who Lori said was diagnosed with depression and bipolar disorder, eventually left home at age 17 for Las Vegas, then down to Southern California, and then she visited San Francisco in 2012 at age 25 for a fish concert and has remained here since. Shortly after moving to San Francisco, Jessica appeared in a 2013 episode titled San Francisco Meth Zombies of the National Geographic show Drugs, Inc. Wearing her red hair and a puffy ponytail, she told the camera, somebody told me when I first moved here a couple months ago, people don't come here to live, they come here to die. I'm hoping I don't make that statistic true. Lori ends up finding Jessica um, in the Tenderloin. She's a drug addict there. And the article continues describing her just a little bit. Her hands and her ankles were swollen. She showed me a brochure from the San Francisco AIDS Foundation called How to Prevent and Respond to Overdose. It had information about how to use Narcan, but nothing about how to get help if you want to stop using drugs. Jessica said the drugs helped mask her intense anxiety and that treatment programs were too structured to work for her. You see, Jessica has been part of the community of San Francisco for nine years, living on the streets of the Tenderloin as a drug addict. Jessica is a daughter, a sibling. She had classmates growing up. She went over to her friend's house for play dates. She interacted with others on playgrounds. She's a human, she has a story. A story where she came from and how she got here. And maybe I didn't have to tell you this morning about Jessica, Maybe you are Jessica. Maybe you were Jessica. Or maybe you know just somebody like Jessica in your own life. But the reason why I'm telling you about Jessica is I'm emphasizing her humanity. Because the demon-possessed man in our text that we read about this morning is a human being as well. He was created in the image of God, created with destiny and with purpose. He had a story of who, how, of who he was growing up as a child and a story on how he got to the graveyard. But when we read stories like this um, about demon-possessed people and demons and the crazy stuff they're doing, we often get distracted by that part of the story rather than seeing the, the actual people in the story that we actually should be connecting with. But before I move on, let me clear something up that, some are, that I might have lost one or two people of you already about. Please don't misunderstand me here. I'm not saying that addicts or people who struggle with drugs or alcohol or personality disorders or medical conditions or people who cut themselves 
are necessarily demon-possessed. I'm not saying that Jessica and the men in our story are dealing with the same thing. You see, what I want you to see this morning is that there are human beings behind those people that we see so much affected by evil and that they have a story. There's a, there's a story behind the drug addict and the TL. There's a story behind the person who was on a trip as we walked to our favorite restaurant in the mission. There's even a story behind the men that might have made you feel uncomfortable on your way to church this morning. They're human beings. And remembering that there is a story and hearing these stories is important because what stories do is that they let us share and receive information in a way that creates an emotional connection. Story, stories help us make sense of our world. So Mark here is telling us a story about a man. And this man is someone's son. This man is someone's friend. This man is someone's relative. And he's telling us that something happened to this man. And that something happened that led him to be described like Mark describes him here. In verse 3. This man lived in the tombs and no one could bind him anymore. Not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. Though this passage doesn't give us the whole story of this man, it gives us some clues of what, what has happened to him. At some point, he must have been, become a, a disturbance to his family and his community. And when things got too bad with him, they only had one solution. It's call the cops and lock him up. But it didn't work. The chains could not hold him back. Nothing and no one was strong enough to tame and restrain this man. Now, whether he was expelled by his community or whether the demonic power in him eventually removed him from the community, we don't know that. But what we know is that when Jesus showed up, he was amongst the tomb, among the dead. You see, when God created this man, God did not have a mind for him to be under such a strong influence of demonic and evil powers. This man, and actually all of us, are part of a bigger story. We all are part of God's story. And God has a story from the beginning for humanity. When he created you and me, represented in Adam and Eve, he created everything and said it was good. But then he created us in his image and saw that it was very good. And he gave us responsibilities. These responsibilities in the garden included stewarding God's creation as well as experiencing and living in his goodness, in his presence in the garden. That was supposed to be the story. But, and there's always a but, the book of Genesis then introduces us to the devil manifested in the form of a snake in the garden who is on a mission to distort what God has called very good. God's story seemed to be interrupted on page three of the Bible already. He deceives Adam and Eve into believing that they can rule the world on their own through their own wisdom. They are wise enough to do this. They don't need God. And from that decision on, humanity spirals deeper and deeper and deeper into darkness. And from now on, if you read through scripture, you actually see hints of how Satan and the demons are at work. They're at work behind the scenes, infusing hatred, division, among human, division amongst humans, 
And they're trying everything possible to take humanity back into this darkness and the disorder that the world was in before God intervened or did something, created it. You see, God created us for good. And when evil entered the story of humanity, it came to disrupt God's story and to steal us away from the goodness that God has created us for. We know that stealing and robbing from humanity is part of the devil's plan. And we know that because Jesus actually says so. In John 10.10, he shares the parable of the good shepherd that he is. And he describes there who the good shepherd needs to uh, protect the flock from. He says that he came to steal and kill and destroy. And we see exactly that happening in this man's story. The demons first rob him of his family and his community. They steal his clothes. They make him live amongst the tombs, screaming and cutting himself. If you look at him, you don't see much joy or hope left in the way that Mark describes him. I mean, even putting yourself in his, own, in his feet, do you think there was any joy or hope left in him for life at all? So the man in our story is demon-possessed. But it's a lot harder for us to, today to identify demonic possession. You see, we have, a, we have medical diagnosis and explanation for things that are, go, that are going on in human beings. And we have medication that actually cures or helps with imbalances that have nothing to do with, um, with the demonic possessions. Actually, if you look at the good work of, if you look at the work of a good exorcist, and Dave McKinney, who has been, who's a little bit more involved in that scene, has, has um, helped me understand that a little bit, a good exorcist today spends time first figuring out what's actually happening in a person that they're facing before they do any sort of exorcism. Because there are cases that are not of demonic origin that needed to be treated completely different than an exorcism. You see, not every evil expression that we see has an origin in demonic possession. But here's what we know for a fact. The devil is real and the devil is at work. And if we believe the story of the Bible, then we have to believe that these evil powers, demonic manifestations, and the devil are real. And what you need to realize next is that if we believe they're real, we need to know and be aware that they're at work today. They continue to disrupt and try to overwrite the story of God for humanity. But with our human advancing and our development and the things that we've discovered, we have come up with explanation for things that are going on in human beings, which is good and right. I think we need that. It's, going to be, it's helpful to treat certain things that are happening in people. But I think that sometimes it actually, these explanations and these discoveries help us to diffuse some of the evil that we actually have in our world. Actually, sometimes it, it helps us to erase the, the demonic language altogether where we now just don't even think that there's demonic presences, but we just think, oh, that's just the state this person is in. But all of this discovery and all of this thinking and all of us thinking that there might not be any demonic powers doesn't eliminate that there actually is demonic powers and that the devil is at work. Jesus is clear in his teachings on that, that the devil and the demonic are real, and they continue to sabotage God's work and they're trying to affect us today. So the, for the next few minutes, I just want to invite you into a little bit of a reflection on what I was just saying. I want to give you some time to think about these questions. So ask yourself, 
Is there anything in your life that has been stolen from you? What is being destroyed in your life or in the life of others around you? Where in your life are you wanting God's goodness to be restored to you? Or is there something missing in your life that you want God to restore or give to you? As you reflect on these questions, think about maybe broken relationships, broken promises, broken dreams. Maybe there are lies that you believe about yourself or others. So this evil that the Bible describes is inside and at work in pretty much everyone. And we know that because that's working, all of creation longs to be restored. We want to be freed from all this filth, from this evil, from our sinful patterns. And Paul talks about that actually in Romans 8, 22 through 24, using the word groaning, right? He says, all creation groans. And and it describes mankind's longing to be freed from suffering and from sin. And so the question we need to ask this morning is, are you and I longing to be freed from suffering, from sin, and from what's holding us back? Because that's actually what Jesus came for to do. You see, God always knew that there would be an attempt to disrupt his story. And so from the beginning, he had a rescue plan. He had a plan to rescue and restore humanity. So let me get a little personal with you. Let me invite you into my family story, my origin story. My dad had a pretty gnarly upbringing. His father was a World War II veteran. Uh, He got into um, British captivity and signed up for the French Foreign Legion and fought in Vietnam. Needless to say, he he came home super messed up. He's experienced things that people don't experience naturally. And so because of that, he needed an outlet for the things that he was trying to cope with. So he fell into alcohol. He was, he was abandoning his, and neglecting his own family. And he was really abusive towards my parents, towards, sorry, towards my dad and his siblings. And my dad ultimately went down the same road. My dad fell into alcohol, got really addicted to alcohol. And um, as, you, as you look at his life at that point, I'll get into a little more detail about it, you can say that he was on a hopeless trajectory. Here's the way how he would describe himself at that point. He would wake up in the morning, his hands were shaking. He would turn around, grab a bottle of beer, because he knew that as soon as he had some alcohol in his system, the shaking would stop. So beer in, right, you wake up, a lot of us, First thing we do is grab our Bible, read the read scripture. For him, he, first thing you wake up is get rid of the, the shaking so he can, actually, he can actually be function. Next, next beer was at breakfast and then more beers and more beers and more beers throughout the day until he finally goes to sleep and, this, and everything starts over again. You see, with the underlying health condition that he was in already, you, it's, it's actually really clear that he was on a path of self-destruction there wasn't really that much hope or joy left in his life. So one day, he finds himself in a Christian coffee shop. 
He actually thought it was a bar. He mistook the coffee shop for a bar. <laughs> Goes up to the counter and orders a beer, and they say, oh, we don't have any beer, but I can give you a coffee. And he's like, okay, well, I guess I'll have a coffee. Um, wasn't really super enticed, but immediately, as soon as he sat down there, this guy sits down next to him and starts talking to him. And uh, after a little bit of talking, this guy was like, do you want to accept Jesus in your heart? And my dad was like, oh, man, I just want alcohol. I don't want this Jesus. If I say, if I say no, he'll probably keep talking to me, and I'll never get out of here. If I say yes, he'll just shut up, and I can get out of here and get, get on with my life, have my beer, and, and live my life. So he says yes. This guy gives him a, a New Testament and says, tonight you should read John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. So he goes home. He sits there. He reads that passage after more beers at a different bar. And he sits there and thinks to himself, well, if this is true, if this Jesus is real, then maybe he can help me. So he says, Jesus, help me. He falls asleep, wakes up the next morning, turns around to grab his beer, and his hands is not shaking. Something changed. Something happened that day, that night. In his drunk mind, he says a simple thing, and something changed. So for the rest of the day, and you've got to imagine my dad being a little bit, a little bit shorter than me, but a little bit more bigger on the, on the other side. He's, he's a big, burly guy. He, he goes throughout this day um, not touching any alcohol, being really freed from it overnight. And after his shift was done, um, he runs to this coffee bar and tries to find the guy who was talking to him the night before and grabs him by his, by his like, collar and says, what did you do to me? Because <laughs> whatever you did, it helped. It worked. It worked. And that was the first day of no more alcohol for my dad. This was his first day under the authority of Jesus as a changed man. Amen. You see, the man that Jesus encounters by the graveyard might have seemed like a hopeless case to this world. But you know what? There are no hopeless cases for Jesus. And you know why? Because he has complete and full authority, which includes authority over the demonic and power and evil forces no matter how severe they are. You see, what Mark does here in the story is that he portrays this man as your worst-case scenario. He says, look at this guy. He's filled with a legion of demons. Not just one demon, he's filled with a legion of demons. Now let's see how Jesus handles this case. Well, what does he do? He casts out the demons. He, has, he shows full authority over the demons, that they have to do whatever he says. And Mark's saying, if Jesus has full authority over a legion of demons, then he has full authority over everything that's going on in the supernatural world. You know, see, this, this legion actually had to fully, this legion of demons actually had to fully submit to his authority. And that is because Jesus is Lord. And he's not just the Lord of our lives, he's the Lord over everything. A few weeks ago, Dr. Brian Loritz was here teaching us about the Jesus calming the story. Uh, calling, calming the storm, the story of Jesus calming the storm. And what he said was that Jesus actually, in the story, is about Jesus demonstrating his power over nature. Well, what Mark is doing here is he's actually contrasting Jesus' authority over nature in the story, saying that 
Well, you've, you've seen in the storm that he's, Jesus has authority over nature. You see in the story of the demon possessed that actually Jesus has also power over the supernatural. Because Jesus has full authority over everything. There's nothing that is not under his authority. Now, the question is that we need to ask ourselves then is do you believe that Jesus has authority even over the worst, worst demonic and evil powers at work in our world? Amen. But that's the tension we're feeling, right? We look at our world and we're like, how can this be? Because demonic, and I might not have to tell you, but I will tell you in a second anyways, demonic powers and evil are still at work in our world. And I'm sure you hear or see about it every day. See, when we zoom out, we can see the power at work. And I'm just going to give you some examples because maybe some people can think of some. But we see the power at work, for example, through the injustices that are being done day in and out against our brothers and sisters of color. We see the the evil um, at work in the recent massacres in Myanmar and other parts of the world. The severe mistreatment of the Uyghur population in China. The inequalities that this world has created, the gap between the rich and the poor, even looking at it globally with rich and poor nations. And then innocent people dying daily. And that's not even taking COVID into consideration. We have school shootings and other random murders. And all of this leaves us with this feeling that this world is more under the control of evil than the goodness and authority of Jesus, right? But do we believe that Jesus still has full authority over all of this? I love how my dear friend Dietrich puts it in his book, Ethics. Die Welt ist nicht zwischen Christus und dem Teufel aufgeteilt. No, just kidding. Thank you for laughing. I'll spare you the German and I'll go straight into the translation for all of you. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says, which by the way, the, the book Ethics is phenomenal on all this topic. He says this, The world is not divided between Christ and the devil. It is completely the world of Christ, whether it recognizes this or not. As this reality in Christ, it is to be addressed. And thus the false reality that it imagines itself to have in itself or in the devil is to be destroyed. The dark, evil world may, no, may, not, may not be surrendered to the devil, but must be claimed for the one who won it by coming in the flesh, by the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. See, what Bonhoeffer says is that no matter what it seems like, Jesus has fully claimed authority over this world by coming, dying, and raising from the dead. He claimed victory. He claimed victory over all evil in this world. And that is why God's story was never fully taken over by evil. And the story now is that the kingdom of God is available in Jesus Christ. In our story in Mark, the kingdom of God is demonstrated through the the restoration of a demon-possessed man. Here's what the passage says. The man who has been possessed by the legion of demons sitting here, dressed and in his right mind. If you ever see the the sentence, being sober-minded, it's the same word. He was sober-minded. He was in his right mind. But how did this man get here? Our text actually tells us that it was mercy. He didn't have to do anything to receive mercy. It was mercy that was extended by Jesus to him. 
And the same mercy can be shown to you today. No matter what's going on in your life, Jesus is seeking to restore what has been taken. He does that through his kindness and gentleness. He does it through extending forgiveness and showing you his love. He has full authority over the things in your life that you feel bound by. He restores what you thought had been stolen from you. There's freedom and restoration for you. And it's not just available for you to receive this mercy today. It's also there for us to give it, to extend it. Look at Matthew 10. Here, Jesus was sending out his disciples, and he was pretty much telling them, it's like, if you're part of my kingdom, if you're my disciples, if you're my apprentices, this is how you live in my kingdom. This is what he says. Proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. He says, if you're part of my kingdom, if you're my disciples, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out the demons. And you know why? Because freely you have received and freely you give. You see, through Jesus' authority, even we, as disciples of Jesus, have been giving authority to deal with demonic powers, to claim the world for Jesus. You see, in preparation for this sermon, I was reflecting on my dad's story. I was obviously sharing, I was reflecting on it. And I've never felt that much gratitude for the man who shared the gospel with my dad. You see, the, 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 the message of the gospel was so simply shared with my dad. I mean, think about it. This guy literally just had to approach him and talk to him about Jesus. He didn't have his, I, I know for certain, he didn't have a seminary degree. He didn't study apologetics and how he do it. He probably just shared his own life story with him. And just because of that, because this man was, was humble enough and had courage enough to share the gospel, the, tra- the trajectory of my dad's story was changed forever. A family was changed forever. You see, because there's power in the name of Jesus. There's restoration in the message of the gospel. There's liberation in the work of Jesus. Amen. Freely you have received, freely you give. If we just understand how much authority God has to liberate the world from evil and restore human beings, then why don't we act like that as disciples? If we believe that we have the same power within us. You know, my dad's story is an example of just how much power there is in the simple message of the gospel, simply proclaimed. All it was was an engagement, a sharing of the story, and giving him a, um, a New Testament. And yet, it is capable of affecting this world in ways that you and I only could dream of. But this dream is, has become a reality through Jesus. So as you ponder this, as you go into the uh, time to re- respond to all of this, what Jesus is saying here, let me give you a few questions that you can, you can take into your reflection time. In what parts of your life do you need to be restored? Who do you want to see change through the power of the gospel? And how are you proclaiming the message of God's kingdom freely? Let me close in prayer. God, I, 
I confess that I underestimate the power of your gospel so many times. Give us faith. Give us faith to see the stories that are behind the people that we encounter. Not just faith that they have stories, but faith that there's restoration that you desire for them. And then on that, build the faith that we, that we have the power to extend your gospel for them to be freed. Thank you, Jesus, for being in full authority over anything that's going on in this world. We believe, help our unbelief. We need you, Jesus. Fill us out this day so that this year can be a renewed commitment to your Holy Spirit. Amen.